the evidence of things not seen. The purpose, beloved, of this rather abstract verse is entirely practical. As is, in fact, the entire 11th epistle to the Hebrews. Its purpose is to quicken and strengthen the faith of which this first verse speaks. The faith as the substance of things hoped for and as the evidence of things not seen. And you know, we have need of that. We always, as a people of God, in the midst of the world, have need of being strengthened in the faith. For as we heard this morning by Reverend Hankel, there is in us a really about a small beginning of the new obedience. We have a regenerated heart as people of God. And in that regenerated heart uh, there is uh, that principle of the new life But all the rest of us is still in the power of the old man. Our body is. Our soul is. Our mind is. Our will is. Except for the principle of that new life that tries to conquer that old man. Don't ever forget that. And, beloved, that old man in us is not believing, but is unbelieving. That old man does not to believe, does not want to believe and cannot believe. It's only that principle of the new life in us that can believe and love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. The rest 
Exactly. That's the way, beloved, we are here tonight. That's the way I must address you tonight, and myself. Don't ever forget that. If I ask you, do you have this faith of which my text speaks? The faith that is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. You will probably say in your heart, as I ask you that question, yes. I hope you do, as I do. Uh, but, beloved, when I ask you this other question, uh, do you live by that faith? How much of your life is motivated by that principle of faith, you probably will say, as I must, shamefacedly, very little. Very little. In most of my life, I do not even think of that faith. Hours and hours and hours pass away that I really do not consciously live from that faith. And because, beloved, that is the case, because we have within us a principle of faith. And that principle of faith is a principle and wants to conquer all the rest. And because, nevertheless, there is within us not a principle that is impossible, but there is nevertheless the old power of the old man, sinful and unbelieving. Therefore, the word of God comes to you and to me in this epistle, and particularly in this chapter, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to strengthen that principle of the new life to strengthen that principle of faith in order that you may hear the exhortation, hear it and do it and rejoice in it, live by faith. For faith only is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hopeful. I try to follow my text. I think that's probably the simplest. That's easiest for you to understand. 
because this text is not so easy. But I'll try to explain it. Only, I think I'll take the second part first. And the first part last. When I speak to you on faith and things unseen. And first of all, discuss the fact that faith is the assurance of things unseen. And secondly, the fact that faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Faith and things unseen. The assurance of things unseen. The confidence of things hoped for. Beloved, when we read here of things unseen, you must not make the mistake of thinking that unseen things are the same as things invisible. That's not so. You understand the difference, of course. Things invisible are things that from their very nature are not seen and cannot be seen. Really, uh, that is only true of God. God is the invisible one. His being is such uh, that in himself is invisible. It cannot be seen. It can be seen in his revelation. It can be seen in Christ. Uh, but in his being, it can never be seen. Is the eternal an invisible God. Uh, but uh, things that are not seen, in the words of my text, are not things that cannot be seen, but that are not seen now. That we cannot possibly see and perceive in this present world. And the reason is very evident. In this present world, beloved, we are limited on all sides as far as our experience is concerned. And as far as our perception is concerned uh, by our senses. By our sight, by our eyes, uh, by our hearing, uh, by our smelling, uh, by our tasting, and by our touching. And the only world we, now, apart from faith, apart uh, from God's own revelation, 
the only world we have and perceive and experience is the world of our senses. The thing we see all about us, the things we hear, the things we smell and the things we taste and the things we touch, that's our world. Our world is undoubtedly adapted by God so that we can know our world. It isn't so that if only we had another sense or two or more senses, the world would change. No God in his wisdom so adapted the seen world, the outside world, that the world and our senses correspond. No question about it. The things we see and hear and touch and smell and taste are true. But that's the seen world. The things that are seen are the things that are perceived. By all our senses. And the things that are perceived by all our senses are limited. Very limited. Limited on every side. And, beloved, remember that those things that are seen are characterized in the first place by the fact that they are all temporal, limited and temporal. They are perishable. They pass away. They pass away not only because we pass away, but because the whole world around us passes away, comes to an end. Secondly, that world is characterized by corruption. Uh, by corruption, again, not only because we are corrupt and because in our corrupt nature we corrupt all things. That's true. That's true, too. Uh, but also because the curse of God is in them all. We cannot understand anymore the original word. The curse of God causes all the things that are seen to be corrupt. And finally, the things that are seen are characterized, as far as we are concerned, by death. Death. Death ends it all, as far as our present world is concerned. In the midst of the things that are seen and heard and tasted and smelled and touched, and that in that perceptible world, we live 70, 80, at best, 90 years sometimes, and then the end comes. Death. And 
For that reason, beloved, uh, there is absolutely no hope in the things that are seen. There's no hope. They perish. And we perish with them. The carnal man, the natural man, that has nothing, and he has nothing, but the things that are seen, is a man without any hope. He may act as if he hopes. He may act from moment to moment as if he expects something. But when that next moment is come and the next day is come and the next year is come, beloved, he finds that his expectation perished. There's no hope. It's hopeless. There is no hope in the things that are seen whatsoever. Uh, but the text speaks here of an evidence of things not seen. And again, I say that does not mean that the things themselves are invisible or imperceptible. But we cannot see them now. We cannot see them. We cannot approach them by our senses. It's impossible. To that to the things that are seen, beloved, belong in the first place the things that are not seen, I mean. To them belong in the first place the spiritual things. Even the spiritual things that are revealed through the things that are seen. Things of the past. Such things, for instance, are the revelation of Christ, the manger in Bethlehem. All you could see with your present eye and with your present senses is a common babe, nothing else. But by faith, you understand that that babe is God in the flesh. Only by faith. I come back to that present. To those things spiritual belong the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That cross, beloved, as it is seen, is nothing that is strange to this world. A man hanging on the accursed tree and dying is a very common sight. And as far as we can see without faith, there is nothing in that cross whatsoever. 
but by faith we understand, beloved, that the seen things are only representative of things unseen, and that cross is the truth that God is reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. By faith, but nothing else. But by faith we see that cross. The same is true of uh, the resurrection and the ascension and the sitting at the right hand of God. Only by faith we understand. And secondly, and I think the text emphasizes that, the invisible things, the things that are not seen as yet, are the heavenly things. The things in heaven. They're real. They're just as real as the things that we see here. Just as real, if not much more real. There in heaven is the glorified Christ. We cannot see him yet. Not because he is invisible. He can be seen, all right. But we have no eyes to see him yet. Except by faith. And there in heaven are the angels that surround him. And that surround the throne of God. We cannot see them. Not because they are invisible. They certainly are visible, beloved, as creatures. We shall see them, but not yet. Now, it is only by faith that we see them. There in heaven are all the saints that have gone before. From the very beginning to this present time, the saints that have suffered and died and entered into glory. There in heaven is the house of many mansions. There in heaven is the fellowship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, visible, oh, there's no question about that. But not with our present senses. We cannot see now, beloved. The things, the things that are in heaven are not invisible, but they are not yet seen because we do not have the senses to see them and because we are not translated to see them. But, the text says, by faith, faith, the text says, is the evidence of things not seen. You know, these two words in the text, substance and evidence, are very difficult words to translate from the original. Very difficult. But that's evident already from the difference between the Dutch and the English. The Dutch has, instead of substance, a faster front, a firm ground. The Dutch translates, now faith is the firm ground of things hoped for. The English have substance. As far as the original word is concerned, both are certainly possible. And yet I believe 
both are impossible as far as the text is concerned. Uh, the English has the evidence of things unseen. The Dutch has a base, a proof of things that are not seen. And again I say, although evidence and proof of a base may both be possible, I believe that in the context this is quite impossible. Faith is not an evidence except for faith itself. Faith is not a proof, not a base, except for faith itself. If you want to use the word proof or evidence in that sense, that faith is the proof or evidence of the things that are not seen. For faith itself is possible. But I believe that another translation is much more preferable in the context, in the context of the text. And that is this. Faith is the firm assurance. Faith is the firm conviction of the things that are unseen. That, beloved, is undoubtedly the meaning. No matter whether they translate one thing or another, I think the meaning of the text is nevertheless. Faith is the firm conviction of things that are unseen. And if you ask the question, how is faith a firm conviction of the things unseen? I answer, in the first place, because of revelation. Without revelation, faith would be blind would have no object. I mean, without the, without the revelation of Scripture, without the revelation of Jesus Christ, without the revelation in Christ in which God uh, shows us, manifests unto us the things that are unseen. We would know nothing about that unseen world. We would know nothing about uh, the Christ and the cross and the resurrection. We would know nothing about the heavenly things. We would know nothing about the glory of Christ and the glory of the angels and the glory of the saints that have gone before. We would know nothing about the house of many mansions and the glory of the house of many mansions if it were not for the fact that God himself has revealed them unto us in Scripture. That's all. And faith, faith is the touch with Scripture. Faith is the bond with Scripture. Faith believes Scripture unconditionally. 
and become which God has given us and is implanted in our hearts is the context, the living context with Holy Writ in which God has revealed to us the unseen things. Therefore, in the first place, is the assurance. Faith is the conviction that the things that are not seen are there and are real. By faith, beloved, I am Christ is there in glory. And that the house of many mansions is there. I say, let me give a testimony to you. Maybe it's good for you. I am as convinced that those things are real as I am standing here to preach for you tonight. You say that? But there's still more. Faith is the assurance of the things that are not seen also because essentially faith is the bond with Christ. Spiritual. It's often been said, beloved, that uh, what we have here in Hebrews 11 verse 1 is not a definition of faith. It's not a definition. I used to agree with that. I preached on this chapter years and years ago. I still have those sermons. But I don't quite agree with them anymore. I used to say the same thing. And then in this uh, first verse of chapter 11, we have no definition of faith. I doubt it now very much. At least we have a definition, and it seems to me the definition we have here of faith is almost similar to that we have in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7. Now, faith is a certain knowledge of all that God has revealed to us in his word. Change that a little and say, faith is a certain knowledge of the unseen things which God has revealed in Scripture. You have the definition here. And as I come back to that pretty soon, faith is also a certain confidence that my sins are forgiven or that I have everlasting life and so on and so forth. And that also is implied in this definition. Faith is the substance, the confidence of things hoped for. Hoped for. And 
the evidence, the subjective evidence, the conviction, the certain knowledge of things that are not seen. That, I believe, is correct. And, beloved, because uh, faith is the bond with which we are united with Christ, and because by the power of faith we taste Christ, we taste the resurrection, we taste eternal life, therefore also, Faith is indeed a sure conviction. We have the unseen things already in our hearts by faith. We believe. We believe that we are already raised with Christ. And that we are already set in heaven with Christ. By faith. We are no longer here by faith. By faith we do not belong here. By faith we belong in heaven. And therefore also, not only because of the objective reason uh, that uh, faith appeals to scripture, but also because of the subjective reason that we are united with Christ and because of the fact that we experience the unseen things. Therefore, we're sure, we're convinced that the heavenly unseen things are real. As I say, I'm surely convinced that the heavenly things are real as I'm preaching here before you tonight. Please, say it with me, beloved. Say it with me. And let your faith be strengthened and encouraged. Say it with me. We are convinced in our hearts that the unseen things are real. Are real. As real as the things that we see, if not more. And the text says, that's the first part, and I take that second. If the substance of things hoped for, that substance, beloved, I'll explain presently. You understand that thing, uh, the things hoped for are in a certain sense the same as the things that are not seen. Not quite. But nevertheless, we may say this, that also the things hoped for are not seen as yet. The things hoped for are the things that the Christian expects in the future. I would almost say expects 
in the absolute future. It doesn't, he doesn't expect them today. He doesn't expect them tomorrow. He doesn't expect them next year. He doesn't expect them in time at all. Not in time. He expects them in the future beyond this time. He expects them in the unseen world. And expects that unseen world which by faith he realizes and is convinced of expects that the things in that unseen world will be perfected in the future. That hope. They are the things Beautiful word in scripture. Hope. Hope for. Hope. I always think contains three elements. In the first place, the element of expectation. Hope looks to the future. It expects. And as I said, hope does not expect in this present time. Hope expects in the beyond. And the future that is future to all time, as far as we are concerned. A living expectation of future things. The second phrase, hope is the expectation of glorious things. Glory. So glorious, beloved, that we cannot even begin to conceive of the glory. We can imagine a little of it. We can, all we can read in Scripture, otherwise we couldn't even imagine, uh, but we can read in Scripture a little uh, inkling of the glory that shall be revealed in that future world. But it's very, very weak in comparison with reality. I'm sure when we are once in that glory, when once the things that are hoped for shall have been realized with us, we shall say undoubtedly with the Queen of Sheba, half of it is not told me. Half of it is not told me. Or a very little, very little picture of it is presented to me in Scripture. That's all. That's, that's all that can be done. 
In our present world, we can conceive of their glory. Oh, we know, beloved. I know, beloved, I know that then in that glory, you and I shall be shall be perfect. Perfect. Perfect in body and soul. After the resurrection. Perfect in body and soul. But that's not all. And that's not the most attractive element. Oh, that's very attractive. But after all, that perfection is only a means, a means to an end. And that perfection shall serve the purpose there in those things that we hope for of the perfect fellowship with God. That's the heart of it. We shall see God. We shall see him. We shall see him face to face. In Christ. In the revelation. In the perfect revelation of Jesus Christ our Lord. We shall see him. And seeing him. We shall love him. In perfection. In everlasting perfection. We shall love him. Love him with all our heart. And mind and soul and strength. Without any defect. And loving him. We shall taste him. And we shall know. We shall know. And that is probably the deepest of all beloved. We shall know without any trouble. That he loves us. God shall say to us so that we hear it so that we never hear anything else. I love you. That's the glory of hope. By faith. And finally, That must not be forgotten. By faith. And then I come to the second part. Of this second part. By faith. I know. That it is for me. And not for somebody else. So that. If you say with my text, as the text to my mind ought to be translated, faith is the perfect confidence of things hoped for and the perfect conviction of things not seen. And you say, too, as I hope you will, and you do, especially after this sermon, beloved, I have that principle of faith in my heart. <laughs>
then you say that glory is not only there. I do not only believe that those things are real, that that glory is great, but I believe that it is for me personally is mine. That is hope. The expectation of the absolute future beyond time. The expectation of unspeakable glory in the fellowship and the expectation that that glory is for me. And you say too, beloved, say it, that glory is for me too. That's the text. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And substance 